0: Gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Ladies and gentlemen, get ready to fly because it's time for another feature show here on Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. I am, I am David Hockney, and today we'll be looking over the career of one of the most talented and decorated superstars over the past 20 years. A worldwide phenomenal competitor and someone whose birth name still gives Steven Wilson PTSD. It is the phenomenal AJ Styles. Now, if uh, this is your first time listening to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, well, you've picked an excellent time to join because Uh, AJ Styles is, of course, a very popular and successful superstar on the the wrestling circuit and a very universally popular amongst other promotions as well as here in the podcast. So I think we're going to have an excellent conversation today. Uh, But if you want to uh, keep up to date with everything going on in Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. You can follow us on social media Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Suplex Retweet We also have our YouTube channel where you can check out uh, the Conspiracy Theory Quiz Showdown and much more other things uh, which can all be linked via the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet website, com. I never thought I'd say the name of the podcast so frequently in such a short space of time but uh, I think um, to, for this particular show we need a uh, well, for lack of a better word, a phenomenal panel. So let's see who we've got here. Uh, firstly, we have a man who's got so much experience in radio that he's now saying to everybody that they don't want none. It is the best in the world, Chris Murray.
1: David, you always give me such good intros. That is one of the main reasons why I am I am here. And can I also commend you for acknowledging AJ Styles' brilliant tna entrance music and it completely ignoring his lesser good (laughs) wwe entrance music just like the guys that are listening can't see it but just for the benefit of this show i'm so excited to be on here with you talking about aj styles that i wore my aj styles gloves uh which if this works on the audio that is uh, amazing
0: (laughs) yeah i could just see them there that is brilliant
1: i've got the uh the the aj gloves that make aj when you put your hands together Um, Yeah, could not be happier to be on with you guys talking about him. I think if I had three favourite wrestlers of all time, it'd be Jeff Hardy, CM Punk and AJ Styles. So just can't wait to get into this.
0: Excellent. Well, you sound very enthusiastic. And not only that, we've also got the most savage man in podcasting, but I don't think there's any point in the next wee while that he's going to be changing his evil ways. It is the savage known as
2: Strack. Strack, how are you? I'll have you know, I've been calm lately, but kind of. (laughs) Hi, <laughs> I would say I've camped in a lot. <laughs> uh, you've you've
0: toned down. I think that's fair fair to say, but it's um, still no short of uh, of savagery <laughs> to say the least. And unfortunately, I've run out of uh, AJ Styles theme song names, so unfortunately, I'm going to have to uh, apologise for this one. Uh, but also joining us is the self proclaimed most hated man in podcasting. It is Alan McLucas.
3: I am the most hated man. I know what you're hating. I'm very really happy to be here though, talking about. My second favorite wrestler of all time. My favorite wrestler currently in the world, and I will say this now, and I'm prepared to argue with anyone: the best of all time, the goat of wrestling, AJ Styles. Yeah, that's. Uh, I
0: think that's. You don't get any debate from us here. So, uh, let's let's kick off with the show. So, Alan Neal Jones, born on the second of June, 1977, in Jacksonville, North Carolina, but now resides in Gainesville, Georgia. Uh, so that's sort of a little bit of his origin story there. He went to university in South Carolina, Anderson University to be specific, uh, where he was on a partial wrestling scholarship and then ended up turning professional, uh, largely because his friends were doing it and find out whether or not he had a natural aptitude for it. And to supplement his income, he actually uh, worked a few odd jobs, including mowing lawns and being an ambulance driver. So that's a little bit of background history for uh, for AJ there. but. We'll go into a little bit about his early sort of independent days around the late 90s to early 2000s. But then we'll get into the real nitty gritty stuff of his time in TNA, Ring of Honor, New Japan and of course WWE because there's a lot to get through. So AJ was originally trained by Rick Michaels and debuted in the in the uh, in the Georgia promotions in 1998 where he wrestled under a mask uh, under the name of Mr. Olympia uh he's also a former w nwa georgia heavyweight champion having defeated his former trainer rick michaels at the end of 2001 and he was even part of wcw briefly as a member of the air raid team uh, alongside air paris where he ended up wearing a flight suit and he adopted his persona to the name air styles now alan you like tag team wrestling don't you uh what did you think of AJ's sort of tag team early tag team beginnings as opposed to, you know, what he is today when he's current tag champions with Boss?
3: Looking back, especially talking about Air Raid, um you could see he had so much more to offer than tag team wrestling. Um, the, the talent was there, the potential was there, he had a natural charisma as well. But he was, was still at the same time very raw. And it was probably the best place for him to start. But you knew just looking to the guy. That this guy was not going to be kind of like Billy Gunn and Road who built their careers on tag team wrestling. This guy was going to be in this, toilet, you learn the mat, the basic, and then on to be a, the guy for all these set of companies that you've mentioned. Um, so it was a it was a really good starting point, but you could clearly see that this guy was not going to be staying in that position for long. Mm-hmm.
0: And Chris, obviously, then the late the late nineties, early two thousands, everything was a bit more sort of shall we say cheesier back then? Do you think the, the flight suit as part of Air Raid was a little bit much, but does it at the same time, do you think it gave him a bit of personality as part of the Air Raid team? Yeah, totally.
1: I mean, you hit the nail on the head. At this time, gimmicks were still such a huge thing in wrestling. Air Raid, like, they obviously were just like, oh, we've got these two talented guys. Uh, what should we do with them? Ah, oh, just make them look like they were in the background of Top Gun. Doesn't matter, we're going to be out of business in a month anyway. Um, And I think they, (laughs) looking here, I think they wrestled four matches together on like Thunder and one match on Nitro on the 5th of March. Didn't WCW die on like the 17th of March? So it, it just makes you wonder, like what could have happened if they have been in even a year earlier like things could have been so different mm-hmm. um but yeah it's, it's you're right like they they were in there with guys like i think they're called the young dragons or the jung dragons um and they were in against like alex Wright and disco inferno it's just stuff you absolutely like l- would love to see i i honestly i never knew aj styles existed in wcw until about five years ago you know these list videos that come out they're like oh 10 wrestlers you never knew we're in this promotion and then um you're like what and i've watched back some of this stuff it really reminds me of the early tna days i think basically he kept a lot of the same moveset he kept a lot of the same gimmicks but he just didn't have air paris with him by the time he got to tna
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, and now strack chris actually brought up a very interesting point because they They actually made their WCW debut back when the company was winding down and WWE was acquiring all their assets. Uh, But alongside that, he even had a a tryout for WWE in the early 2000s, but he wasn't signed on along with the, the other WCW alumni. And he has said in an interview with Michael Cole back in 2016 that he simply wasn't prepared back then to to settle into a company like WWE. Looking back, do you think that was the smartest decision he could have made in that, you know, he'd wanted to experience all these other smaller sort of independent promotions before jumping to the most recognizable company in the world?
2: If AJ Styles had went to WWE straight away back then, we wouldn't have a AJ Styles now. It would not have happened. Mm-hmm. He would have been a cruiserweight, getting jobbed to Jamie Noble, S.E. Rios, Fucking Billy Kidman who was like six foot one and two hundred and forty pounds, but cruiserweight somehow. <laughs> um you wouldn't have the AJ you have now. You'd have a guy who was a cruiserweight getting jobbed out to big guys and beaten doing that badly, he'd probably he'd have probably went like wrestling five years later. Fuck this.
0: Yeah, I think you've uh, I think you hit the nail on the head there because you know back then you know sort of the tail end of the invasion angle like a lot of WCW talent were sort of relegated. I imagine he would have been one of the unfortunate casualties. But um, this is where we get into the the sort of main bulk of his career because this is where he spent the most time from 2002 all the way up to 2013. It was a sort of a sort of back and forth between his time in NWA Total Nonstop Action and Ring of Honor. So. We'll talk briefly about his TNA sort of starting off because he, we've said many times before and I think many uh, wrestling fans would agree that he is well-deserving of the moniker Mr. TNA and rightly so because he actually wrestled in the first TNA match that was broadcasted as well and it was uh in a losing six-man tag team effort where he lost to the flying elvises of all tag team uh, when he was teaming up with jerry lynn and Low Key, later to be known as Caval in in wwe but it was actually what happened later that night that um is what was the is really says his, his tna career off because he ended up becoming the first ever X-Division champion in a double elimination fatal four-way match. Now that episode was broadcast the week after, but he was still recognized as the first ever X-Division champion. Now Strack, uh, some time ago, you actually did a show on TNA's X-Division. How much influence do you think AJ Styles had in not only the launch of the X-Division, but sort of
2: making it one of the most must-watch segments of TNA programming? Uh, it's kind of the same with my first point. If you didn't have AJ Styles, you would not have had the X-Division. I know people say, oh, the first kind of X-Division wrestler was like RVD. E. And it's like, ah, oh, you're kind of right. But when you had guys like AJ, I mean, I've said this on the podcast before, AJ Styles is the reason I started wrestling. I loved wrestling before it, but whenever I watched WWE, it was like Triple H, The Rock, Austin, Undertaker. Nobody was under six foot. And I'm five foot eight, so I was like, oh, I love wrestling, but I'll never really do this. And i seen AJ Styles and I'm like, that's a lot. I can do backflips, I can do somersaults and land on my feet. I'm a 12-year kickboxer, so I'm really flexible, I'm good at martial arts. And seeing the style that AJ Styles brought in, I was like, holy shit, I actually may have a chance at wrestling. And that's that started me wrestling, and X Division was my style. And when I watched it when it first started, I couldn't get enough of it. It was just so... Different, it's so new to wrestling because it, like, a lot of the guys, like everybody was like, I hate Hulk Hogan. Mm. His moves are so basic and his matches are so basic, they're born as shit. Like, Hogan was the Cena at the, 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 the start of the 90s. His matches were basic, but then you've guys come in with AJ doing a moonsault and a reverse DDT. I know people say, Oh, flippy, flippy, but it's entertaining. It's Mm-hmm. Showing how athletic these guys are, and then guys like Chris Sabin, Alex Shelley, Christopher Daniels, Samoa Joe, Petey Williams, Loki, Jerry Lynn, the, the, the list of the X Division guys goes on and on. And that was, I would say, Asia Styles started all that because guys were going, well, I do what he does, and TNA going, Well, Momo Gear, try this, and it's it just people were all watching this, mm-hmm. and now you've got guys like. Well, Ospreay, Ricochet, Pac, Ray Phoenix, who I would probably say their their style is the reason for X Division, and that reasons for Age styles.
3: hmm
0: Yeah, Chris, I think there's no doubt about it that the the X Division was arguably TNA's most popular segment. You know, given, you know, fan interaction and all the the competitors that struck. you know, mentioned just there. But I wanna ask you about uh Jerry Lynn and low-key specifically because you know not only did AJ have feuds with these guys but he also had you know he'd been teaming with them as well as in the aforementioned like six-man tag team match and their their days will go all the way back to the the early independent days of like the the Georgia wrestling promotions like do you think the the Jerry Lynn and low-key interactions are exactly the boost AJ needed to get his feet off the ground in TNA
1: absolutely like Jedi Lynn and AJ Styles were so intrinsically connected in the early days of TNA. Um, David, you touched on it a bit there, but how they were the finalists of the, the first ever match for the X Division champion. I think by. Mm-hmm three weeks or two weeks later they were they also became the tag team champions and um you could you could tell straight away their styles worked so well together i think as well like aj and uh, jerry leonard had a bit of history in ring of honor of course Loki had so much history in ring of honor as well so it was so great that they got to bring in these guys that all worked together like very very recently before the start of this company and and it like it's funny you brought up that that six man tag the first ever TNA match <coughs> like, that like that match is awful all six wrestlers mm-hmm. in that match are all great I loved Sonny Siaki in the early days of TNA I loved um, uh, Jimmy Young I think he was called Jimmy Wang Yang in mm-hmm. WWE um, and Apollo in there as well like all six of those guys are absolutely great they just did not need to be in that match and thankfully the Elvises were never used ever again I don't think but like um. I I think that we we talked a bit about WCW at the top of the show the criticism that WCW always gets now is that they they had all this great stuff going on at the start of their cards and the start of their pay-per-views with you know like guys like Chris Jericho, Psychosis, Di Malenko, Rey Mysterio, all these brilliant cruiserweights slash Lucha Libre style wrestlers. They just never went anywhere on the WCW card. They never got higher than the first or second match. That's exactly what TNA came in and fixed straight away. They were just like, look look at this guy AJ Styles he can come in and he can absolutely storm the X division but also seen about six weeks time he will also be fighting Jeff Jarrett for the NWA title in the main event like they proved Mm -hmm. the X division guys especially these three they proved that they could go on to much bigger things
3: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and I'm glad you brought that up because that sort of brings me very nicely to my next point uh when he as he as soon as he won the X division title he was almost immediately thrust into the NWA world title picture and this was like you know this is the title that is currently held by Nick Aldis, not to be confused with like the TNA World Championship and stuff. But, uh, Alan, AJ got his first world title by defeating Jeff Jarrett and Raven, and it was actually Jeff Jarrett that actually brought uh, Styles into TNA to begin with, uh, because Jeff Jarrett was the the owner at the time. Do you think this was a, a good opening feud for, for AJ, given that Jarrett obviously had all that history uh, with WCW and uh, at a time during the Attitude
3: Era as well? Absolutely, especially because, well, well, Jarrett was one of the major shareholders of the company, you know, so if the the guy is writing your cheques is prepared to put you over, there's no fault in my my book, it's a great thing, it shows the trust that Jarrett hadn't, you see the potential in it, and it it was just a beautiful rivalry, because it just, it just worked really, really well. You know, it's kind of hard to put any words like how amazing it was. I just, I just love that rivalry. I mean, I, 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 I know Jeff Jarrett's a lot of sticks people, you, know, but I think Jeff Jarrett's best work was actually done in TNA Because he was always a brilliant heel. He was always somebody just went to leather. You know, take him in the back and just smack him about to your ball And he played this perfectly, and it was really well done, uh, the whole rivalry, and it just shows how, you know, if somebody that, if you want to call him green in wrestling, because he's not been wrestling long, well, he's not been a professional wrestler long. He's now got one of the most prestigious titles in wrestling, and he's a recognised world champion that young. It just shows that it wasn't just him, but what everyone else in the company thinks of him.
0: Yeah, because I think he was only about in his mid-twenties when he won that title, so it just goes to show there's a lot of investment behind him, but Moving briefly away from TNA, we'll go to the other side of this uh, sort of joint venture that was going on with Ring of Honor. Because Ring of Honor, you know, had the the distinct privilege of featuring some of their TNA talent on there as well, including uh, AJ himself. And he was immediately thrust into the spotlight, having feuds with uh, Brian Danielson and Samoa Joe for the Ring of Honor world title. I think he came up just short uh, from becoming the first Ring of Honor champion, but he actually did become the first ever Ring of Honor pure champion uh, when he defeated CM Punk in the tournament finals. Like Chris, I'll, I'll start with you on this. Like, how much benefit do you think AJ's presence gave to Ring of Honor, which only just started in 2002 and it needed you know some some big names? I mean, it already had some big names, you know, as in the aforementioned Brian Danielson and Samoa Joe and CM Punk. But do you think AJ was just like the cherry on top uh, for Ring of Honor to start, sort of get the ball rolling.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, what was good about this was, I think that, I can't remember the exact timeline, but for me as a wrestling fan at the time, it felt like AJ Styles was a TNA wrestler in Ring of Honor. Uh, and, you know, I might be, but that's how I perceived it from where, the way that I watched wrestling at the time. Mm-hmm. And what I think Ring of Honor thought was, this is a TNA guy, so we don't want to make him our main star. Not main star. We don't want to make him the focus point of this company because he's already the focus point of another company. As this time of course, he was, you know, the top guy in TNA. So what I thought they did very well was right, we've got this other belt. And I think what was good about the Pure belt is it was it, like, you know, it was it was very much like the wrestling belt. Like the Ring of Honor title was like the main belt for the main guys but the, the you know I naturally associate the pure title with uh, Brian Danielson at the time who spent a long time hold, holding that belt so they used him really well there and also what was good about this time was and David you might be a bit going to go this but they brought AJ Styles into the feud with The Prophecy which was this very early Ring of Honor tag team with uh, Christopher Daniels and that set us up nicely for what would come in later in TNA because it led to like some brilliant AJ Styles versus Christopher Daniels matches that we'd get in TNA later on now mm-hmm. I, I, I've said to you before I don't know loads about his time in Ring of Honor but all I know is that, that he he sort of used Ring of Honor as a way to to not only like get out of the feuds that he was in in TNA, namely with the ex-Division champion at the time, or Jeff Jarrett, both of which wouldn't have been in the Ring, in ring of Honour. Um, and it, it also just sort of improved his wrestling style across different styles, because the Ring of Honour style was, was actually quite different in TNA. Ring of Honour was a lot more brutal, like pure wrestling, as I said. So yeah, it, it was good that he got to spend some time there in sort of early years.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, Strack, I, I think, uh Obviously, having a lot of wrestling experience under your under your wing, uh, and I know you've been quite uh, quite vocal about vocal about the interactions between sort of various promotions, particularly like ICW and NXT UK. And this is sort of the the vibe I'm getting with the TNA Ring of Honor connection, alongside you know what AEW is doing with with TNA Impact at the, or or just Impact Wrestling, I should say. Uh, do you sort of see the comparisons there? You know that TNA was sort of like in this dominant position to sort of, you know, share its talent with a much smaller promotion in the hope that it'll benefit both companies?
2: Um, no, really, because the thing is I I, I remember all that time, because that's really the time I started wrestling and a lot of guys kind of mixed. Like, they used to do one PW shows down south and they used to book like AJ, Pac, Abyss, and they'd book Wolfgang, they book Darkseid, they'd sometimes book Drew and stuff like that. And a lot of the guys were here, we go down south and all mix with the guys. And a lot of Americans AJ, Joe, Jarrett, um, Steve Carino, and all that would all come here to England and everybody would kind of mix. Um, at that time, ROH was a good, it was kind of like you're a Muyer your, your ECW, but it was a bit more like NXT, more fan orientated. TNA had a, obviously a mere TV presence, but I wouldn't say TNA at the time then was bigger. But with AJ and ROH, they never really... I, I know what Chris is saying, they've they done that to like, oh, we don't want him in the main feud with somebody because he's one of their guys. They brought AJ in for dream matches to pop, put arses on seats, because a lot of the time you just hear, oh, aj get got Roderick Strong. Well, I'm fucking watching that. <laughs> or oh, AJ's get um, low key, but it's not going to be a televised match, so they're just pretty much going to kick the living shit out of each other. Um, you yeah, had a lot of guys who, if they were doing ROH with AJ, you it, it tend to be a mere stiffer match, but people loved that. That's what people were going there for because they wanted to see as much as wrestlers wanted to stay safe people still want to see people getting hit. That's why the UFC is so popular. People want to see people getting punched in the face.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: There's, there's no, no software on about it. And that was, from my interpretation, seeing it all happen, that was what AJ was in ROH for. Who, who would people love to see him against? I'd love to see him against Joe. Go, mm-hmm. cool. Fucking him me, Joe. And that's, as soon as people hear that, your arses are buying a ticket.
0: Yep. Although, could you say the same for back in, I think it was 2018, where they had almost had that never ending feud over the summer over the WWE Championship? Wait, who? AJ. AJ and Joe for the WWE title.
2: No, that. At was end, there was a rivalry with AJ and Joe, and WWE it was not a rivalry. Mm. It was basically just going out there and do something, whereas in TNA, it was go out there and make something happen. There's a big. There's b I've said this for years. There's a big difference between WWE wrestling and everybody else's wrestling in the world.
0: Yeah, I think I think you sort of hit the nail on the head, you know, especially when you were talking about non-televised matches and they just um they just beat the living piss out of each other just because people wanted to see that. Even if it was, you know, not as frequent as, you know, televised showings. But um unfortunately the Ring of Honor run sort of fell well it had to be sort of had, he had the, rug, the rug pulled out from under him because uh he was he was forced to relinquish the ring of honor pure championship uh due to the the rob feinstein controversy uh so tna pulled all its talent out of ring of honor and this sort of brought a this sort of brings aj nicely back into the the x division feud now i did post on our eat sleep suplex retweet community page which you can find on facebook uh what people were saying, what were the key memorable moments from AJ's career. And the very first comment that we got was from Big Alan Laurie, big loyal listener of the show. Uh, If someone doesn't spend 20 minutes minimum talking about the triple threat between AJ, Joe and Daniel's Unbreakable 2005, then what's the bloody point? Well, wish granted, Alan. I think it's only fitting that we talk about arguably one of TNA's greatest ever matches within the X Division uh, and the company as a whole. So... Guys, let's talk about Unbreakable 2005. Uh, Chris, I want your initial thoughts on the match in hindsight and what you thought of the match as a whole, and why do you think it could could be TNA's best ever match?
1: There's, cu- there's a couple of reasons, right? First of all, um, like I've got a similar love of AJ as Strack does and Alan does as well um like I I watched TNA because of AJ Styles like mm-hmm. I, I first saw him in adverts on the wrestling channel when they used to do these little promos for wrestlers in between the actual wrestling programs first match I saw of him was um against the best in a ladder match in March 2004 when I looked up the date last night. Anyone listening, please go and watch that match. It's on like
0: Daily Motion or something like that. It's on but YouTube, actually. Is it? Right, great, great, great. It's on TNA's YouTube channel. I actually watched it last night. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so. They've watched something other than WWE? Hey, hey, hey. Give me peace. I watch ICW. I watch. uh I watch. Something.
1: Many other wrestling shows. Yes, many other <laughs> wrestling
0: shows, whether it's uh, Impact, ICW. and I'm. <laughs> what? what was that
1: <laughs> so just the reason the reason I bring these things up is like that combined with when he as you said went back to the X Division at the start of Impact as a TV show the match he had against the debut Jeff Hardy for the X Division title like by the time we got to Unbreakable September 2005 I had been watching AJ Styles for maybe a year and a half and he was by far my favorite guy in wrestling uh in tna specifically at this time and this match with daniels and joe oh man like joe came in to tna with a rocket on his back straight to the moon like he just did so much in such a short space of time this was during his run where um he was unbeatable um of course he also had the the story of like Christopher Daniels and AJ Styles in there as well all three of them all come together this phenomenal match there's so many spots that I can just remember off the top of my head even though it was I'm looking at my clock here 16 years ago um, yep it's, 16 I'm, I'm just going to get this in here quickly to see what the guys think but it's without doubt TNA's best match of all time mm-hmm.
0: uh, Alan anything you want to add to that like you know was there any spots in particular that you enjoyed or was it just the sheer dynamic of these guys that made it worth watching
3: Totally everything Chris said it's dynamic. It was just amazing. I mean I remember seeing CM Punk talking about how sometimes when you ring around somebody, you sometimes have to speak to them. And then with green stereo, he never spoke. The two of them never spoke in the match. They just had this match of chemistry. That's what race Speed had. Seeing you even watch it really closely, watching their faces as they hit the bat and whatever. They're not talking. They're not you can see they're not communicating to you. They're not even acknowledging the referee, you know they've got this unbelievable chemistry where they, they just know what the other one's thinking and they know what they're going to do and it's the trust because the spots in that match are absolutely brutal especially on stage absolutely brutal and it's a complete trust and you can see why all three of them are so close in real life you know, I mean that's that the, the godfather of the A.B.'s kids you know it just shows the the, the trust they have in each other and they're absolutely terrific they're absolutely terrific it's one of my Absolute favorite matches of all time, and just Echo, I said, it is the best match TNA's ever done, and TNA's done some absolute stellar matches and its time. for this is like the top of the pyramid for me.
0: I and Strack, obviously, I think Alan touched on that. You know, all these guys have such amazing chemistry. You know, everything they did was just flawless from start to finish. But uh, I have seen uh some reports and rumors suggesting that joe actually rushed the finish of the match and they had to sort of call a little bit a little bit of a, on the fly um but it didn't look like it impacted the match uh, finish overall like was there was there ever any doubt you know in hindsight knowing that you know that this finish was actually almost rushed do you think that changes does that change your perception of it at all or did you just accept you know that it was a, a just an absolute uh, perfect match from start to finish
2: See, this is the thing, I, I've never heard them say it was a, a rushed finish, but I would I would say this one thing. If somebody builds a brick wall and you look at it and you go, that's perfect, it's flawless, there's not a, a fuck in it. And somebody goes, aye, I made a mistake in that bit, that's you, you're going to notice the bad bit. So, I don't really believe when they say, oh, the, 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 finish, the, rush, the, the finish was rushed, because it seems like somebody tried to put a crimp on it. When it was, as Chris says and Alan said, These guys worked so well together, they didn't really need to communicate. They probably done the occasional like, in the, quickly, go for an Irish whip, and it's like hip toss, drop kick, and clothesline, clothesline, quickly, so you wouldn't see it. But it's not like a pause sleeper where he's like, right, get up, do this, do this, do this, then we will go to this, and we will got to do this. They probably just said, like, listen, we'll get this part in, get this bit in, and the rest of it, we'll just have fun. And that's Honestly, you see, guys, like planning matches so into the detail before the show, and you're like, "Ah, that. that's taking the fun out of it." Like, if you're if if you're gonna go and have a match, aye, plan your spots you want to plan, but see really, go out and talk to each other and just have fun. Make shit up on the fly. Just like, if you if if you plan a match and you're so intricately, and then you go out and you fuck one but up. That's it. You, you you sit thinking going, it's like you're driving, who's, who's got a driving license? Uh,
0: I do. I do. I right. do not. <laughs>
2: <Right>. <laughs> Two but, out of three. Chris, have, have you had driving lessons? Yeah, 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 of course, yeah. Right. See if your instructor says, break, turn there and indicate a roundabout, and you accidentally stall it or you accidentally hit something and fuck it. You continue on and you still think about your fuck up. Mm, yeah, you didn't. Mm, I still would still think about. Ah, oh, fucked up at that runabout, and your suckers like we're by the runabout. Forget it. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that. And mm. That's what happens with guys. They get in the match. Oh, fucked up the hip toss. and what? We she she fucked yeah. it up But that's because they planned it so bad, so much, so much, so much. But yet these three went out. but it Looks like it had fun, and as as we we're saying, it's one of the greatest matches. Mm-hmm. if not the greatest match in TNA's history mm-hmm. there's very little that can come close to it aye and I shout, think out, shout oh. out sorry
1: David shout out as well for t- TNA slash Impact slash Anthem slash guy from Smashing Pumpkins shout out to them for also putting the whole match in full on YouTube I have yes. so much respect for that <laughs> I, yeah, like their you know, biggest what, cash count and you can
3: get it for
0: free and
1: if
3: you've got, how
0: long is the actual match about 25 minutes
3: Right, just to put this in perspective, Facebook, about two and a half minutes ago, uh, I can't remember what page it was, got the highlight reel up. The highlight reel's just shot at eight minutes. That kind of tells you how much action's packed into that match. Of the highlights, just eight, and the the match itself is about 20.
0: I was sold alone on the the high-flying spots alone, like Joe doing a a corkscrew dive over the top rope. You know, you wouldn't expect that from a 20-stone man. Uh, then you got Daniels obviously doing the springboard moonsault to the outside, and then lastly, and this was just a thing of beauty, AJ with the springboard shooting star press to the outside. Like, I, he does it just as good as maybe, well, the only other person I know that does a pretty good shooting star is Matt Stidal, but last time he tried it, he absolutely (laughs) made a horse's arse of it, (laughs) but that's, that's besides the point, um, but yeah well let's dig a bit more into service sort of time in tna because this was sort of the mid 2000s but going more towards sort of late to early 2000s you know he'd been in the company you know for like five six years by this point and there was some intertwining feuds uh quite a lot of faction warfare too such with the the wwe legends forming the main event mafia so you had kurt angle booker t sting kevin nash and scott steiner uh, under the main event mafia banner but then he also had the sort of ECW alumni uh, going up against him when he was teaming with with Kazarian and Beer Money as part of Fortune. So it was, and what came with it as well was a bit of flip flopping between sort of face and heel. You could never sort of really pin down if AJ was a a face or a heel. He would always adapt depending on the circumstances, and that that adaptability is definitely uh, another contributing factor why he not only was he one of the best wrestlers but also one of the best characters now. Alan, do you remember much about, you know, AJ's sort of feuds with the main event, Mafia?
3: That was you kind know, of pre me watching TNA. Um, so I, I don't have the best knowledge of it, but, you know, I can imagine with the class of who the original main event, Mafia was in AJ. It, some of the matches it must have been pretty, pretty sensational. It must have been, it would have probably been a good storyline, but I'm probably not the best one to answer, but I haven't actually seen a lot of that. Now, Chris,
0: obviously a lot of these guys like have some things in common, like most of them, like bar Kurt Angle, all had experience in WCW. And as we mentioned at the forefront, WCW was sort of AJ's first major promotion that he signed for, but yet here he was wrestling all these uh, WCW and WWE legends in what was a, a series of uh, quite very high profile matches with a, a stable that was trying to monopolize tna's title title scene like can you imagine like how thing how different things would have been if aj actually got a bit more time in wcw to wrestle all of these guys in their prime and how do you think it compared to what we actually got when when they actually faced off in tna
1: that's the thing and wcw they were always so scared to do like cross-division matches. I mean, like the Billy Kidman Hulk Hogan thing is like the only thing that comes to mind, but Rey Mysterio, who was a star of WCW, never ever got the chance to fight higher up the cards. TNA in 2008, October 2008, when the main event mafia was formed, they were going through their boom period, like pretty much from I'd say Unbreakable in September 2005, all the way through to like, you know, Hulk Hogan coming in. 2010, 2011, I think it was. This was like their prime time, but the issue that always hung over TNA at this time was, ah, there's too many WWE guys. There's too many WWE. Like, ignoring the fact that Kurt Angle had a better career in TNA than he did in WWE, ignoring the fact that Christian had a better career in in TNA, same for Raven, same for Rhino, same for all these guys that TNA made amazing. The whole thing that hung over them the whole time was that, oh, it's just ex-WWE guys. Sting as well, better. Than uh, WCW, throwing that out there. But so, what better way to do it than to get all of those main X WWE and WCW guys, put them in a tag team called the Main Event Mafia, and get AJ to lead this charge against them. It was just the perfect way for him to be like the superstar of that era. And and as you said, like he did sort of flip flop a bit. I think when Fortune started becoming Fortune, like he was heel, and then they became face. And and I I, I definitely remember a highlight of um the frontline versus mafia thing was he beat booker t for the legends title yep. and renamed it the tv title which i think was a really important point for them as well because then you had this you know you, you had a you know a, a wcw style tv title one that was defended all the time which i thought was really really great um and and yeah he, i, I want to throw in as well i don't know if this is the bit you want to talk about just yet but in i think it was january 2010 when he aligned with rick flair uh, i think that was just another brilliant point um and his run in this period to TNA as well, but yeah, loved him as leader of both factions. Also, anytime they did like lockdown, uh, sorry, lethal lockdown matches, uh, where AJ was like either a member of Sting's team or a leader of his own team, going into these like sort of survivor series still matches, always brilliant. I'm trying not to use the word phenomenal just for the sheer <laughs> irony and yeah.
0: Every time you <laughs> say every every time you say phenomenal, you take a drink. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Aye. But, you know, Strack, we were sort of jumping between main event Mafia and Fortune and stuff. Given that, you know, Fortune had this uh, almost Four Horsemen-esque vibe about it, and Ric Flair was sort of acting as their manager. Uh, the other three guys he was teaming with, Kazarian and, you know, Beer Money. Like, AJ's no stranger to feuding with the likes of Beer Money and America's Most Wanted when he was teaming with uh, Christopher Daniels. But how do you think it... Uh, it did in elevating these guys to be sort of, you know, main events, singles players, as well as uh, tag team guys, especially when you're going up against ECW alumni?
2: I think Beer Money, James Storm and Rude, they were kind of already on their way up because they were such a good t- tag team. I've said that. WWE should have tried harder to get James Storm and put Bobby Rude rather than put me Dolph Ziggler because that's fucking stupid. Um, I mean, imagine Beer Money, NXT or imagine being money in WWE. Mm. They'd be walking about with every tag title gone because they, they were just such a good team. Kaz, it probably helped him a lot because <laughs> everybody just kept calling him the Antonio Banderas lookalike. <laughs> 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 oh, I can't get that image in my head now. No, did you see Kaz belong here? Yes, yes, I did. He did look like Antonio Banderas. He did, I yeah. That's what he looked like. <laughs> and it the one good move, the flux capacitor, which he finished, was kind of just a twisting T bone after tap rope. It looked good, but then I was popped it. Was it like um, Shelton
0: Benjamin's old finisher?
2: It, no, it was kind of like you. you kind of. It's like you pull them into a T bone, but then it turns it across body you the way you done.
0: Ah, yeah, because Shelton just did it from the. Uh, the from to, the mat, the, yeah, he didn't he uh, did under, do it off
2: uh, the under, top rope, yeah. Uh, he done it for the undercatch and the shoulder and then into the, the crossbody. body. Guys right. done it like a, like a body lock. He had the shoulder under the arm and a twist. So it did look cool as fuck, but uh-huh. it didn't have oomph uh, in my opinion. But no, I think Fortune was good. I didn't really like Ric Flair managing AJ because AJ stopped the high-flying stuff. Started wearing a robe. Started using the figure four as his finisher. What What mm-hmm. the fuck is this? Um, but no, the fortune was quite good. Then they had the, the fortune feud with EV2, which was all the LDCW guys. Mm-hmm. Um, that just looked like. Well, they added me guys to fortune, just looked like a bunch of young guys beating up a fucking retirement home. <laughs> um, to be honest.
0: I mean, you're not wrong. It's uh, there was, I think, Fortune actually got pretty damn massive, you know, given the amount of talent they had on offer. But, uh, yeah, that, that was sort of around 2010, 2011. He did go away for for a while, you know, in TNA, and this is when he started sort of widening things down. But he was still making making waves, you know, even as he was bowing out of TNA. Given that, you know, 2012, 2013, he returns as this very sort of dark sort of grim, loner sort of style character. And he was was almost uncertain as where his allegiances lie. Like he changed essentially from, you know, the the soccer mom's golden child to the soccer mom's rebellious teenager sort of look. And it was very sort of back and forth, you know, where his loyalties lie, given that, you know, he was often relied on as the company man uh, to bail TNA out. But I think, uh alan Matt actually came with a bit of an element of frustration against dixie carter and tna as a whole because he was saying things like um you know when tna you know botches uh, a booking creative direction uh he's the guy to bring it all back and you know we want to push this new guy but it ends up falling flat let's bring aj back can you appreciate you know that there was an element of frustration given that, you know, AJ was always loyal to TNA but he, he was just more annoyed that they kept making mistakes.
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, the Capitals have got more money than the McMahons and they, just, they couldn't run a piss-up in a brewery. You know, I mean, you think about that, that time when you talk about Fortune taking on, you know what I mean about Mafia, then it moves on, like when Hogan and that stuff comes in, TNA have a far superior roster than WWE. and uh, I got away, when you Look on paper, they have roster way back. And the potential they had, they could, they, at one point, they actually could have taken WWE on like uh, you get me AEW and really stuck it to them. Because they did something WWE's never done. They sold out the Tokyo Gold and they they absolutely pissed it away. They ruined it. And I think you just every right to be annoyed about it because the guy carried the company back, you know, and they bring on all these legends and he's still producing five star matches, but like the sting. You know, he's, he's still getting the best. Uh, these guys that maybe don't quite not um, quite sharp but at the same time he's also happy to put the right people over if they're right for the business and they're going to make something of it and the fact that well, we've made a mistake, goal he fix it you know, and, uh, he's scary right. he's used to be like do you know what no they've made your bed now line up. I'm done because he's you no know, he doesn't have to go about it because the guy can't company me for about 14 years pretty much so you know, every night he's got to be like, no, it's a fun uh sort of yourself. And TNA slash impact has never really recovered as a result of And Chris, there
0: was actually one other stable that AJ would have some interaction with, but not exactly directly get well directly align himself with them, and that is the infamous Aces and Eights, which took up quite a lot of, you know, TNA's impact wrestling's scene, given how many members they had and how long they built the storyline for. Like Were you at all curious about how AJ's role uh, with the Aces and 8 story would pan out or were you more keen to sort of keep that sort of dark loner character that he started started portraying as?
1: This period for AJ was so weird for me. Like, Bully Ray winning the belt when he first beat Jeff Hardy for it in the um at lockdown, I think it was. That was like the culmination of so much storyline in TNA and everything coming out of Aces and Eights and Billy Ray working behind the scenes and working with Hulk Hogan and it was all a ruse and all that was like brilliant storyline. And for that for the for them to do a brilliant storyline that one featured Hulk Hogan and two came after the Glory Years, it was like hard to watch, but like so AJ Styles was the one that I I know that it sort of bounced to Chris Sabin and back to Bully Ray, but AJ Styles was like the one to bring down Bully Ray's like reign of terror after however long it was. Mm -hmm. And yet, like, so soon after, he was just gone. And I remember just being like, how how can they have let this man walk away? Like, I know that AJ Styles left TNA because. He was asked to take a pay cut. Like mm-hmm. I would have spent every single, I would have given given AJ Styles all the money he wanted and more to stay in TNA because this exact point, like when he lost this belt uh, or when the belt got vacated in uh, in October 2013, that's that's the death of this era era of TNA. Everything that comes after that exact day is a different company basically because it's just nowhere near as good some of the faces are the same but it's not the same company and just the w- the manner in which he left where there was the storyline on TV where it was like oh he's he's not a wrestler here anymore he's not got a contract and then when he lost the the they did the the unification match between him and Magnus at this point obviously I was like oh well this is how they get AJ back in he's going to win the unification match with Magnus get the belt back and then he lost, and then he left. I was just like, "What? Is, why has is this happened?" And and that, for, I don't know about you guys, but that for me led to what three years where I didn't watch AJ Styles on TV, which, mm-hmm. like, as a as a big wrestling fan, should never have happened.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they definitely sort of missed the, boat, missed the boat with, you know, not keeping him on. But, Strax, there was one other achievement that AJ managed to accomplish before he left, and that was winning the, the Bound for Glory series, which is uh, how he got the opportunity to face Bully Ray for the Impact world title. Like, uh, how much, uh, like I don't know if, how much do you know about the, the Bound for Glory series? Because I personally haven't seen a lot of it, but how... How important is the Bound for Glory series? Is it like similar to what you'd get with the, the the G1 Climax in
2: New Japan? So I was totally distracted. I thought I was talking there for the last five minutes. I realized it was Chris. <laughs> <laughs> fucking word, for word, I'm like ah.
0: oh, Chris has a very hypnotic I, voice,
2: yeah. I had, I fucking, everything Chris came out, I was like, ah, I'd said the exact same fucking thing. <laughs> um, yeah. I decided to go on, oh, AJ, take a pie cut. But like, no, make Hogan take a fucking pie cut. Yeah. Mm. Oh, so. Oh, <laughs> If anybody who regulars this to their show, they realise I do not like Paul Hogan and I say he's a fucking plant, he's sending the companies to ruin them. He went to WCW, came back to WWE, then went to WCW again, WCW under, then he went to TNA, they're doing quite well, then TNA goes under, they went to Japan, they tell me fuck off, Japan's still alright. <laughs> no. so I, I know there's a conspiracy here, but tell me I'm wrong.
0: Tell you what, save it for save it for the Conspiracy Theory, which you can uh, catch on our YouTube channel.
2: The Battle for Glorious, it tried to be kind of, they tried different formats. They like a King of the Ring style thing, and then they'd done like a fucking round robin type thing. It was interesting because sometimes they were like, like, Joe had one run, but he just couldn't he just couldn't win a match. And then also in the last couple of weeks, he won every match and somehow jumped to the very top of it. Crimson was a boy they were pushing like fuck. Um look semi decent and then all of a sudden that he you're like, oh he this can you guys potentially win this? All of a sudden he gets his ankle crushed. You're like, Oh, but the fuck was pointing that then? But no, I kinda I think the same, AJ coming in, winning the bound for glory and then dropping it to Magnus. You're just like this guy has pretty much been on every poster, pay per view, main event, the computer game that he done everything, and you just know, it seems like you don't give a fuck about him. Mm-hmm. It seems like you really don't care less, it's like, oh, we've had, had our use AJ, um, who can we move on to next? And I'm like We you realise you've got another pff, ten year out of him.
0: At least, yeah.
2: He's it, it's not, it's not, like not like a core where you go, alright, That's starting to go wrong, this is starting to work. It's like, no, he's got another ten year, he can start keep banging out. Amazing matches. And obviously you're going to cover this New Japan stuff, and that just goes to prove it, it's lit. TNA, fucked up. big style. Mm-hmm. Brick style. Even Sting, they had the Magnus, Nicholas. this. Then he was alright. Sting tried to put him there. Mm. Then he gave him Abyss as a bodyguard. Then he had a feud with Abyss. Born as fuck. So, I mean... But yeah, anybody you put a few to AJ away, like he came back and instantly had a few with Bully Ray and it was good again. So, it just seemed like they will trying to try new things and as I said, I'll, we'll go back to the well and we'll just bring AJ out the cupboard and he can dance for us and then we'll try something else and if that fucks up, we'll bring out AJ again. Mm. And I think he just went, ah fuck this, I'm yeah. done.
0: I think he was in a position to as well. But you know, TNA's loss was New Japan Pro Wrestling's gain because he then, after departing TNA following, you know, contract disputes and pay disputes, he actually goes to, to Japan where he attacks Kazushiko Kada and goes on to win the IWGP World Championship, not once, but twice. And ends and has you know some amazing clashes with the likes of Tetsuya Naito and Hiroshi Tanahashi. And but I think, Chris, the most memorable aspect of his New Japan run was probably his time in the Bullet Club. Now, this was a time where Bullet Club, I reckon, was at its peak, given that you know it's it was talking about all these guys that were reportedly signing with WWE at one point, and everybody was talking about, you know, their stages in New Japan, you know, the likes of Doc Gallows, Carl Anderson, uh, in particular, who would then sort of team with uh, when they all went to WWE. Like, and I know a couple of you guys are are quite familiar with how the Bullet Club uh, expanded out. But Chris, what are your memories of AJ's time in the Bullet Club?
1: I think what what you were saying there about this being peak Bullet Club, I think, obviously, Bullet Club starting um, with Prince Devitt or, or Balor and WWE, I think that, yeah, that, that was a huge deal in Japan and to like purists. I, I personally, I didn't have any idea who Fergal Devitt was until he turned up in ICW those two times. Mm-hmm. Whereas, as you say, when AJ Styles became the leader, this sort of led it into this whole new era of like global superstardom. Like AJ Styles as IWGP champion was a huge deal. First of all, beating Okada, who, I mean, it wasn't quite pure John Cena Okada yet, but he was still like an untouchable wrestler in New Japan. And then like, I feel like him being like not a... Like he's quite a slight guy, quite a small guy compared to these massive wrestlers that were in New Japan at the time. And combining that with the fact that he was like, not, like they hadn't had many white champions at that point obviously you had people like lesnar and uh, vader had been champion but he didn't look anything like these guys and he just it just proved how good an actual wrestler he was because what he lacked in in like size and physique he backed up with phenomenal wrestling ah damn it i've done it again (laughs) drink (laughs) drink (laughs) um and and yeah like it it just brought about this really good era of new japan the only issue was is and and this is like niche but like new japan world wasn't a thing yet so i remember Mm -hmm. watching one particular Wrestle Kingdom. I want to say that it was nine where he fought Shinsuke Nakamura. Oh, no, no, Pritch- ten, Pritch- ten, thank yeah. you. And it didn't have any English commentary, and I got about ten minutes in, and I was like, lads, I'm up the road, this is mince. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thank you later for bringing
0: English commentary to your Japanese matches so I can enjoy them. Mm. And I actually want to talk about that feud with Nakamura briefly, because I'm, I'm also a wee bit weary of time, but uh Strat, Chris mentioned the match at Wrestle Kingdom ten where you know AJ had his run with the world championship, but then he sort of you know went down a down a peg to feud with Nakamura, and I think you know this this can be still be regarded as one of New Japan's best matches, uh, you know outside of maybe the Omega Okada series as well. So I just want to get have you seen the the match with Nakamura and? You know, what was it about that that made AJ's run in New Japan so memorable?
2: I didn't really watch a lot of New Japan then. Um, I didn't even know AJ Styles was there at the time. It was kind of... I like the Young Bucks when we were on TNA. And somebody I looked with, I came in my Young Bucks T-shirt and I seen the Bullet Club hanging, and I was like, what's that? And is says, uh, Young Bucks Bullet Club, so, what's that? He says, oh, it's um, New Japan. All I remember for New Japan was WCW, like Yushin Thunder Liger. Hayabusa and stuff like that. I, that's what I kinda knew then. And I was like, all oh, right. And he says oh, I watched some of my stuff on YouTube and I was watching through and I was like, oh fuck, they're death, ergo. Um so I don't know, he went there. Um then I seen Young Bucks hanging around Oh they're Japan, not cool. And then I was like, ah, AJ Styles is in Japan? So like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then a couple like I watched a couple matches and I went to Nakamura one and I was like, Holy shit man I says this is he looked I don't know if this sounds weird. AJ Style looked more hybrid. Like mm. I was used to seeing him in TNA a certain way. But see some of the stuff he does in WWE now compared to some of the stuff he does in like early, early TNA. It was kind of that together. There was a lot more striking and a lot more ground stuff and mm. no as much high flying hitting him um in Wow. And I see the first time I see Nakamura and then I heard Nakamura's got an XT. Buzzing for that, um, and I was like, This is. And I was, we started watching Bits and Pieces of Japan, fucking Love It Bushy. And okay, I've, this sounds mental. I've still not seen an Akada versus a Mega match. I've still wow. not seen, man. i have just honestly not getting time. I just Robbie will be hounding you for this. I've just, I, I really want to, but I just don't to see me get the time. But his feud with Nakamura was brilliant, and then obviously when Nakamura won the Rumble. AJ and Oh, here we go. We're going to have these two at WrestleMania. This should be a tremendous. And um, by fuck, what a letdown!
0: Mm-hmm.
2: What an absolute letdown!
0: Yeah, we'll touch on that in a bit more detail, you know, as we go on. But uh, Alan, have you got anything to add about AJ's time in New Japan? Whether it was any particular Bullet Club moments or his uh, or any of these outstanding matches for either title?
3: The thing I can add is, see, for me, match AJ is prime. He was the top, he, he showed EA actually make it anywhere. And he's a top guy in a company that, as they already mentioned, there's not been a lot of white world champions. He said Lesnar, Fader, Angle, and I think he was the fourth. So there, there hasn't been a lot, and it shows what the the, the, the Japanese fans thought, and they thought but the, the people behind New Japan thought. On the top. And it was just incredible, and it's the fact that the experience, because they've all had a, a play in the Young and also Anderson and Gallows and, you know, Omega, because they've been talking and they've practiced. So he's actually helped develop these other guys who are now some of the biggest things in wrestling and are literally superstars. So it, to me, that was easy to because not only was he performing in his prime and he's performing in a way that he's not being held back like he is for WWE in my time, it was he was able to give back as well to the, this next generation that to come up and I just I, Lord I get to see a lot of the matches because I really was I, I still never get a chance to really watch New Japan sorry Grant sorry Scott Got mm-hmm. the time but you know, I can appreciate his style and I appreciate how a lot of people prefer to the WWE and AEW, whatever. It just shows what the guy's thought of and it shows then internationally, all over the world, he is recognised as one of the absolute best and he is, without question, one of the absolute best.
0: Uh, let's fast forward now to 2016, but before we do, uh Going back to the community post very briefly, uh, we did have a bit more interaction from some listeners and some other folk in the team here uh, on the podcast. Uh, So I'm just going to list a few of these moments and then we'll sort of deep dive into some of these because he's currently signed with WWE, has been for the last five years and we'll spend the last segment of the show talking about this. So uh, both Jack Graham and the GOAT David Campbell both say his matches with Cena defined his WWE run, and Go also adds his match with Brock at Survivor Series 2017, both uh, both exceptional. Kwaku says his match with Shane McMahon at WrestleMania 33, wasn't expecting too much but loved it, completely agree, blew a lot of uh, expectations out the water. Ryan Dalgleish says the Ambrose feud, now this one took me a bit by surprise but I think that a lot of that boils down to the, the TLC Championship <laughs> match in 2016. Uh, Gary uh, also says uh, his matches with the Roman Reigns not after not long after joining helps put him in the main event scene. Winning the WWE Championship in Manchester was another one. But I think, it, I think we need to talk about his Royal Rumble debut. Uh, we have mentioned this before on a past Royal Rumble moments show. And I think this was widely considered one of the, the biggest moments in the entire Royal Rumble pay-per-view history. Strak, Roman Reigns just eliminates Rusev at the start of 2016. Number three, uh, the number three buzzer sounds. I mean, you hear this music that you're not anybody's too familiar with. The camera's focused on Roman Reigns' face. The crowd doesn't know how to respond. Something appears on the titantron. Everybody loses their mind. And then all of a sudden, who walks out? But uh, a guy with a, a hooded vest, his arms raised out to the side, and lo and behold, AJ Styles, the hottest free agent at the time, has entered the Royal Rumble match. What was your reaction to seeing AJ uh, make that surprise entrance?
2: Honestly, popped like a motherfucker. <laughs> Couldn't have put it better. Don't don't get me wrong. I, I popped like fuckers. Like, no, it's, I like, it's not going to be. It's not going to be. And sure, I like, boom, it happened. That I almost pissed myself. Um. Don't want to mate it sounds so stupid. See his new pose, with his arms done. Mm-hmm. I hate that, and I hate the long hair. So, this was his. Uh, yeah, he went out of
0: the rebel, the, the soccer bomb's rebellious teenager phase to the soccer,
2: the soccer mom, mom himself. Fucking, <laughs> okay, I hate the long hair. Uh, right, uh, uh, if you obviously a problem about his TNA days, even before he started his match. How cool was his music and his entrance?
3: Mm.
2: You, you you couldn't get any. The only thing that was close to it back then was Randy Orton when he came out and burned him my light. That was the only entrance that was close to it, as cool as that. It's the fun sparkler shit. I don't know what that is, but it's starting under that, looking under your hood, and then flipping it back and popping. I like that. I don't like this thing he does now. It looks like an angry crab.
0: <laughs> just, AJ the Angry Crab it, uh, it.
2: it's the way he does with the arms. it's like he needs to no, he come back out with the burning sparkler shit now they've got Pyro again uh, he's, he's, um, he's, he's
0: got, he's, he's got he's, he still has Pyro it's just not the same as he had in TNA uh,
2: and honestly I you should say listen TNA just 20 quid he's old music because <laughs> TNA will be at for right now it's, <laughs> That's why I found Gizzy's Ice song done. Yeah. And I don't get me wrong. I don't like. I, I do like his new music, but it just the old stuff is better. But no, his mm-hmm. rumble debut was just fucking tremendous.
0: Yeah. And Chris, just to follow up from earlier in the show, uh, during his uh, interview with Michael Cole, he said, you know, it wasn't the right time to join WWE because he wasn't prepared, and then he realised now was the right time. He, he also spoke about, you know, how people would respond to his debut. You know, he would like he was actually a bit worried that people wouldn't know who he was. But um, he touched on the point about, you know, how the, each wrestling promotion has its own bubble, in that you know the fans know who the the performers are for each particular company. But AJ was different. You know, he was somebody that the entire wrestling world recognised immediately as soon as they saw the word phenomenal appear drink uh, the word phenomenal <laughs> appear on the on the titan tron like do you think that just goes to show that you know wrestling fans they know they know a worldwide competitor when they see one and does that you know make aj's you know royal rumble arrival a that little bit extra special
1: yeah i mean wrestling had changed a lot by the time aj got there in 2016 wasn't it mm-hmm. like yep. maybe if it was 2001 And it was buff bagwell coming out on raw for his match against booker t and the wwf fans just going "Eh, i don't know who this is like by 2016 you've got the internet and you also have nxt both like flying the flag for indie wrestling this time and it also helps that the guy that they had coming in is probably the biggest face of independent wrestling at this point like the the one guy that's never been there at this point, um, so the, it, I, I get where he's coming from to an extent and what he's saying. Oh, what if they didn't know who I was? But. Like, he's he's doing himself a disservice there. He's one of the most famous faces in wrestling at this point, despite, you know, regardless of, of having never been in WWE, apart from those, like, you know, one or two tryout matches. And, and yeah, those early matches that he had, um, I remember he had some title matches with Roman Reigns. He had the title matches with Dean Ambrose, the Jericho matches. Like, they set him up in his early days really, really quickly. And I'm also, and I have to point this out as well, I'm really happy he never went to NXT because I would have been so annoyed at having to watch the weekly program to see them. Like, um, they they made
0: such a great move, putting them straight to main roster WWE. Uh, And Alan, you know, Chris mentioned, you know, we actually bypassed NXT at a time where NXT was really starting to gain momentum and is almost sort of like a training ground for, you know, recognizable faces outside of WWE, who would then, you know, sort of hone their craft before, you know, joining a roster where WWE fans have a bit more familiarity to them. Uh, do you think, you know, having AJ go straight to the to Raw and SmackDown was the best decision given the, how recognisable he was?
3: Absolutely, it'd have been an insult to NXT. I mean, hey, 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 leave NXT alone. No, no. Well, let's get it. NXT back at this point, was still building up, right? It would have been an insult for the guy who has been mentioned already. The face of independent wrestling. He's now been the face of two different major companies. TNA and New Japan to go, in, to go down to NXT, that would have been an absolute insult, but it shows the power he had to say, right, main roster of You know, because he could have stayed in Japan, TNA could have given money, Ring of Honor could have given him money, could have been anywhere they wanted. So he had the power to, to in go main roster, and he went, okay, no bother. You know, and <laughs> having the, the guys have said it's been absolutely right, I mean, I totally agree with like. It's, it's really well done the way he came in uh, I love I like his music by I do just his TNN music is far far superior uh, you know I, it just shows the power of the guy I don't think he really realised how much power he actually has because I'm i connected. but I know for a fact he's one of the fastest ever to be a Grand Slam champion in WWE I don't know who he is the fastest but I think he is definitely one of the fastest so it kind of shows the power he has with WWE and anybody goes people know he has money. Any promoter knows he's money. He is going to put bums in seats. He is going to sell paper views. People are going to come from all the world to see him. And he had the power to do that and say no because look at Bobby Roode. He was a TNA World Champion straight NXT. Drew was a TNA World Champion NXT. You know, and Drew was a former Intercontinental Tag Team Champion. Yes, Drew might have chosen to go down here, but see, at the same time, I don't think Drew had to have the power or the pull to go straight in the main roster. And I think for Drew's career it definitely helped him. But AZ was at a different point in his career from Drew. In my opinion, he was much further on his game, he was more refined and he was more a specialist going to go the NXT to be at the service. But she now put him in NXT it would be absolutely phenomenal because there's a pieces mentioned. All right, Uh <sighs> but yeah, there was um
0: there was talk about, you know, the the listeners and the the other team members were talking about, you know, his matches with John Cena, you know, a, a lot of uh, praise around SummerSlam 2016 and of course the the classic WWE title match at the 2017 Royal Rumble, like some of AJ's best matches and I think JBL summed it up best on commentary you know these are career making matches when you're going against the face that runs the place and it was a 2-1 a it was a 2-1 sort of uh, record against Cena overall because Money in the Bank was his first match with Cena it was it had a bit of an asterisk on it but uh, Summerslam you know it was clean as a whistle and I think that solidified as AJ you know becoming the face that runs the place but I'm gonna go around each of you now, and I wanna get—I wanna get you to sort of any mention any sort of key moments that either have already been mentioned, or was there anything you know like a feud in particular that stood out for him? So, Strack, I'll, I'll start with you.
2: You're really asking me to pick one thing, AJ Styles. <laughs> yeah, just just one
0: one thing that in his WWE run that's really really stood out for you.
2: Oh, his WWE run.
0: Yeah yeah it's WWE run.
2: Alright, oh, like, fuck, I thought you meant everything.
0: No, 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 no. <laughs> it's just we'll keep it we'll keep it WWE light because you know that's where he is at the minute and he's already had a lot of uh, a lot of great moments so far.
2: I actually enjoyed
0: his feud with Taker. The Boneyard match.
2: No, uh, no just no not just that. Just the whole build-up it was quite good. Um the whole kind of breaking the fourth wall with that as well, because you see it in the Undertaker documentary. Mm. Um, he was calling him by his name, he's like, Hey Mark, he says, Don't kid on your ass, It's too old to wrestle. I see you training in your wife's Instagram. That was funny as fuck. Um, <laughs> Torn an Undertaker and then when the Boneyard match happened, he's like, does Michelle know you're out this late? could they stop laughing for 15 minutes. <laughs> um, the match was quite good, um, but I did like a feud overall. It was quite good that it was the, like, the Undertaker, Undertaker kind of the Birkin badass. Mm. Undertaker style but no i probably I I really like that we have not spoken about it so I'd I'd say that.
0: Yep yep very good uh we haven't mentioned any of his like his sort of mid-card title runs either like Chris was there anything about those that uh really stood out for you at all? Oh like he was a solid um US
1: champion I think that he had a bit of a feud with um uh, what's his name Kevin Owens Mm -hmm. over that belt for for a little while um but, you know, I, I have to just pay specific homage to two matches on his WWF title run. First of all, like when he actually won it uh, against gender. like mm-hmm. for him to be the man that ended that saga, I Thank think, God. Perfect. Um, AJ Styles being the first ever person to win the WWE title in Britain as well. That feels yep. quite appropriate as well. He's an indie wrestler who would have wrestled there in the past. Um, and I think my favorite match of AJ and WWE thus far, it's a bit of a random one, but WrestleMania 34, when Shinsuke was coming up through the WWE ranks, it's like this pure darling of the company. I, I just never really liked him. Um, and he never clicked with me. And for AJ to retain against Nakamura at WrestleMania 34, I remember just thinking, this is brilliant. Who that man in his place. Obviously, um, they went on to have a bit more afters and Nakamura turned heel and stuff. But yeah, just every single aspect of the the year-long WWE Championship reign. Said earlier, CM Punk's my other favorite wrestler. Both of them had really, really great year-long runs and, and retained the title at Mania against
0: a significant foe. So there's interesting mm. parallels there. Ah, yeah, you, you touch on it very well. And uh, I think, you know, I remember Strack, you said earlier on that the AJ Nakamura match you thought was a bit underwhelming. I, I tend to agree with you on that, but I think it's because so many people were aware of their Wrestle Kingdom 10 clash and they were expecting something on par. So it's it was just a case of, you know, wanting too much and then under-delivering. Under but if if you watch that match, like out of context, like, you know, maybe the way Chris looked at it, I think you would maybe appreciate it a little bit more. But Alan, anything that the guys have not said, because, you know, as we mentioned before, Gallows and Anderson also ended up uh, skipping NXT and going straight to the main roster. Do you think WWE has tried and failed to try and replicate Bullet Club success in WWE without explicitly mentioning
3: Bullet Club? Absolutely. I mean, Gallows and Anderson came in WWE, He's the hottest tag team in professional wrestling, and they bombed. Now, I can't remember who was it, said I, maybe Ross or Sam, connected wasn't, but, I was. but Gallows has just got no charisma. There's just nothing there. And I just, it really needs somebody like AJ to pull him up. And the only time for me that the Good Brothers ever became relevant in WWE is when AJ got involved them. See, when they didn't have AJ, they were just like jobbers to me, they really just had no pull. I mean, I remember you said they must be a right. but then they seemed to take a while get the titles and then they never really had any decent rivalry. So it shows, you know, AJ's got the full package, you know, he's got the technical ability, he's got the persona, he's got the charisma. You know, he's, he's got everything. And it, just how difficult it is to come in to WWE as an indie guy and hit the ground running. And it's probably, it's definitely his greatest strength. And, you know, I these this thing I've talked about. The, the, the best thing for me when I talk to AJ Styles is, and actually think about it, he's possibly got the best resume in history of wrestling, of rivals. if you look back through his career. Who's had rivalries and run-ins with? I mean, you're talking maybe Undertaker's maybe the next to system, that's on par with but like, he is just so ahead for, like, for me, for like, on the TNA gang, the, the Japan gang and then he's worked with every major person in WWE, every major face, heel, every person's been a world of universal champion He's worked for them. And then a lot of the Lord mid cards who potentially will become the world champion, universal champion in the next five, ten years. It's that's I think his legacy. It's just the memories and trying to pick the this ultimate rivalry is just exceptionally difficult. And in WWE I know people've said like he's not going really to produce all the five star matches, but I think he's been held back in the of things like a style but see at the same time you think of the match with John Cena, which <laughs> is just spectacular, you know, brilliant.
0: Uh, just to sort of uh, round off a few more accolades in his WWE run, uh, obviously I think he was mentioned earlier on that he's uh, a Grand Slam champion now in WWE, he's currently a tag team champion with Omos, uh, his, uh, his big bodyguard, but one thing I will want to touch on last before I get you guys final thoughts is his run as Intercontinental Champion, because a lot of people see that title in WWE as the workhorse title. You know, it's held by so many, you know, great superstars of past and present. And this was at a point, you know, where Sami Zayn had to relinquish it because he was isolating because of COVID. And I I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on AJ Styles when he was holding the Intercontinental Championship throughout the pandemic era. Chris, he um had a series of matches with the likes of matt riddle drew gulak uh obviously in the tournament finally faces daniel bryan in an instant classic sorry sarah uh an an instant classic to win his first and i believe only intercontinental championship in wwe like it just do you think it just goes to show it doesn't matter if he's in the world title picture x division united states or intercontinental title this guy just puts on good matches wherever he goes it reminds me a
1: lot of when Ric Flair would go back and hold the US title and NWA slash WCW. Like the issue here's the issue with AJ Styles in WWE. He can't be champion the whole time. Mm-hmm. He should be because he's brilliant, but he can't be. So, I, I, but after all, you have to reward him somehow. You can't just like leave him in the middle of the card. That doesn't work for AJ Styles. So when when he goes to these workhorse titles, like he did with the US title, and then he did with the IC title. It just opens up this whole other avenue to fight all these guys that are never going to fight him for the WWE belt, and 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 yeah, workhorse is the best way to sum it up. Um, and it was a dream for me. For I think he ended up losing it to Jeff Hardy, and then yep. the whole Sami Zayn thing came back in. Like that, that's another just dream match. Like one of the reasons I spent so long watching TNA was because Jeff Hardy debuted against AJ Styles for the X Division title. Something like. 16 years before they had their match for the Intercontinental title like it it was a it was a really good avenue that they opened up up for AJ to go into
0: Mm -hmm. and Strack uh, mentioned earlier about you know how he was starting to put over young talent as well such as the likes of you know Matt Riddle and Drew Gulak and even earlier when he was United States champion guys like Chad Gable you know he was having some really really amazing matches with guys who didn't get as much exposure on the, the WWE card at the time. Like, how much do you think that shows that AJ, you know, is just very versatile with whoever he works with and he still wants to, you know, wrestle the best for the best even if WWE doesn't appreciate them?
2: I'll be honest, I don't really watch the last year. don't really watch WWE because it's so shit. It's mm. so bad. And the main reason is, and I've said this on the podcast many, many times, is you guys like, fucking Jamie Noble or Joey Mercury or somebody going out and planning guys' matches and you get people planning, for example, AJ Styles' match. Imagine going out and saying it's AJ Styles, right, I've planned your match for you. And it's, as we've said, AJ has been a champion anywhere he's went. He's recognizable everywhere he goes. He's, any company he works for, is straight at the top of the bill. He's having his matches planned by somebody who barely scraped out a fucking still working for WWE or was that bad in another company, they're now a trainer at WWE. Mm-hmm. They're they're tra- they're te- they're getting because look, I've I've seen on social media who AJ's head like ricochet and stuff like that. And I'm like if they were outside WWE they'd probably be a lot better. Mm-hmm. Because as I say that's my problem. They don't trust the guys to plan their own matches or do their own promos. Perfect example is Dean Ambrose. Look mm-hmm. up News, John Moxley, guy shit hot. Rusev is Miro, shit hot. But I digress. Um, mm-hmm. no, I've, I've, I've heard he said a lot of matches really like Drew like Ricochet, Matt Riddle, and this and this and that. And none of it seems appealing to me because where it is. Mm-hmm. If I heard AJ Styles take on Matt Riddle in NXT, I'd be buzzing. If I heard AJ Styles versus Ricochet and AEW, I'd be buzzing. But anywhere else in, w- in WWE, I'm like, ah, meh, whatever. There'll be yeah. another match open for goal, but. Yeah. Uh, I might be, be The matches might have been good. Uh-huh. But in, in this one, WWE, right now, I'm just not interested because. It's t-
0: nah. Yeah. And Alan, <laughs> just to sort of round this point off, do you think WWE should be less restrictive about, you know, trying to book specific matches that AJ's in, you know, when, even with the likes of, you know, when he was on his third US title run, he was defending against, like, Cedric Alexander and Humberto Carrillo, guys who were just aching to, you know, sort of make a name for themselves in WWE. Do you think if they had been given free reign, you know, those two guys, in particular, WWE's past would be a lot more different?
3: Absolutely, I mean, the, you know, as I mentioned earlier, he's built, he's, he's got a part in playing building the young bucks, Omega, you know, in TNA, he's also got parts of it, Magnus, said that whole roster, as far as I'm concerned, in WWE, really there's only maybe, uh, maybe three or four guys that should be allowed to just go out and do what they want, and there's one of them, the other one, just for example, top my head, Randy Orton, let they do, like, the guys like that go out and just let them do what they do, because they know what they're doing, they've been in the business long enough, they know what the fans want to see, and then know how to entertain, let him do it. Jeez, exactly. I, I exactly. And this Strack's point, I totally agree with it. Jamie Noble, you know, is a jobber. <laughs> you know, and I'm not saying he's not a te- he wasn't a technically good wrestler, that. He, he, he didn't have it. He didn't have it. You know, as he has it, he's got an X factor. And, you know, I can understand if there's maybe guys that maybe aren't as technically gifted. I, I really like Matt Riddle. I think, I think he's really good. But you can tell he's not technically gifted. Sir Randy Orton, who's probably the most naturally gifted wrestler in history. You know, I understand maybe if they're going to maybe help Matt Riddle plan out matches, right, and guys that level and girls that level. That's fine. I find I've got no problem with it. But just sitting here, right, here's what the start is, here's what we need to finish. And you get 15 minutes, go. Let him go. That's what he needs. And let him do it. And if him, if you say, I'm going to have a chat, let him have a chat before they go out Or they can even do what CM Punk used to say, say he did to Raymond Just go in and just do it. You don't even speak. You know? And if he's an elite list. Let him just do what he has to do.
0: Well, I think uh, I think we all are in agreement with that. You know, he's, you know, he's an elite level talent. He has been for you know best part of 20 years he's still carrying on as uh as a champion in wwe he's a grand slam champion now and i think it's safe to say you know he's not only one of the most recognizable faces in w- in like the wrestling world he's also to, to borrow his wwe moniker he certainly is the face that runs the place so i want to get just to round off the show i just want to give you guys a chance to to summarise, what you really enjoy about AJ's time as a wrestler as a whole, and how much it means to you as a fan, Chris, uh, the floor is yours.
1: I guess the the best thing about AJ just over the course of his whole career is <laughs> that, like I, I first got into wrestling through my friends, like video games back in like very late 90s, early 2000s. Um, Got into watching SmackDown, got, you know, obsessed with these superstars like The Rock, Triple H, Undertaker, Stone Cold, all them at that time. But when I saw AJ for the first time around 2004, it's brought about this whole new, different interest in wrestling. It brought about this fandom that was based on like the skill of the performer. And, And like, I've got a lot of like interest in wrestling to thank him for like would I still be watching it now if, if if he hadn't have turned up in TNA or if he hadn't turned up in WWE I've got, I've got no idea um, and I think you just have to commend him on his versatility from fighting Jerry Lynn for the X Division title to fighting Jeff Jarrett for the NWA title all the way to fighting for the US Intercontinental and WWE titles in WWE it's just he has every possible like facet on like in in his bag of tricks as a wrestler it's just he has the ability to do it all even at age like 48 or whatever it is now he is now 44
0: maybe 44 yeah he's 44 in a in a few weeks actually long may this
1: continue aj styles wwe champion age 64
0: (laughs) (laughs) i mean you've still got guys in their 60s kicking about so it wouldn't surprise me uh Alan, how would you sum up AJ's 20-year tenure as a as a competitor?
3: Yeah, he never failed to deliver. His matches are always the highest of quality when he has given free reign. But as I said briefly earlier, if you look at the guy, he's a for rivalries and I'm just naming top of the top and I know it's not everyone talk talking. Take a Cena, Daniel Bryan, Samoa Joe, just for Daniel's, you know, um, Okada, you know. That's an incredible list there, that's not everyone, yeah? and I could sit and probably try and write it all down, but I don't think anyone in the world of wrestling has got better resume rivals in than AJ Styles, and, it's, and some of these guys he's helped bring up and make them a better star and a better wrestler, some of them have helped make him, but also it's, it's for me, it's for me him and cemented that he is the best ever for me. And I think the only reason he's not in that same category Shawn Michaels if you talk about is the fact he's not been in WWE's whole career. That is the only reason why he's not in that conversation. And Shawn Michaels, hell of a wrestler, right? Nobody disputing that. Absolutely incredible wrestler. But for me, Shawn Michaels pretty high tie AJ's places. If the two of them in their prime had a mark, I think AJ would leave Shawn standing. AJ would just he has everything. He can go with the cruiserweights, he can do all the fluffy stuff. He's over the heavyweights. He can do the technical stuff. The guy has the entire full package, and for me, he is the absolute <laughs> of wrestling.
0: Now, Strack, I saved you for last because I think you you mentioned earlier that AJ was the the main reason that you got into wrestling, and as a as a wrestler yourself, how much you know influence uh, like does AJ have, both in terms of you know inspiring <laughs> Inspiring you as a whole, but also just seeing him, you know, sort of grow and develop over multiple promotions over the last two decades.
2: I mean, <laughs> I don't really have what else to say very much to offer. Me, I would honestly, if I ever met AJ, I'd probably need to say him thank you mm-hmm. because I'd, I'd, I'd love wrestling for years, but I never thought I could do that. I can't do that, but then I seen him and obviously the internet, I was like, this guy doesn't look, and I searched it. Oh, he's five foot 10 I'm like, all oh, right, he's two inches bigger than me. And the stuff he was doing, I'm like, that's mere must. I hate the, just a scoop slam a leg drop. I said, I like doing flippies, I like doing backflips. I like doing kicks and stuff like that. <clears throat> and if it wasn't for AJ Styles, I wouldn't have went to wrestling. I wouldn't have met so many amazing people that I've met like people I became pals with. I met some wrestlers. Um I met a lot of guys from WWE you now. I've met I trained started training with Drew. Um, mm-hmm. I started training with Wolfgang. I started training with um obviously one of the guys that's passed away, Lionheart, um, who was massive from ICW. Um i went to shows that I worked on and I met Seamus. I've met Finn Balor at park um, try. I met I met so many guys from like the W WWE now, and I, I would say if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have met these guys because I would never have get the balls to go and try wrestling. Mm-hmm. So I, I still only have point to say they just thank you because as it was because of him I started wrestling and it's one of the best things I've done I've ever done. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think on that very positive note, we'll uh, we'll wrap up the show. So thank you guys for joining me on today's discussion on AJ Styles. Uh, we mentioned our socials at the start, but I'll hit them with you once again. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Suplex Retweet. We've got our community page. We're always posting content on there, so make sure you get involved with the conversation. You never know, your comments might be featured on a, on a later show. We've also got ESSR Central coming out uh, this week on every Thursday, and feature shows like this will be released every Tuesday. This week, or last week, I should say, we had the best of the Super Juniors, and next week the schedule will be best and worst TNA or Impact champions. So there's a there's a conversation to continue the the TNA theme of the shows going here. So. All that's left to to say now is thank you to Alan. Thanks very much, mate. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, David. And thank you, Strack. Cheers, man. I've been David Hockney, and this has been the AJ Styles Feature Show. This has been Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, and we'll see you next time. Hey, this is professional wrestler Cole Cabana, and I'm only
3: assuming that you have just finished listening to my podcast, The Art of Wrestling, and now you've made the decision to listen to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweets. Which is a mouthful to say, but not only have I said it, you've said it, you've suplexed, you've ate, you've slept, and now you've retweeted. Enjoy the show.